Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Cold Arntz. Yeah, right, mate. You got it right. Thank you. Aussie style. Um, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're the managing or the managing director of Australian New Zealand for a well-known company, but a company which people don't know much about or are not well familiar with, a company called Stripe. That's right. What does Stripe do? We do, we do a lot of things. I think, you know, when I look at stripe and the value proposition that we have and the way that we describe ourselves sometimes we do that in talking through the way our customers use us that that's right? where we start yeah and so we partner with businesses and one of the things that we do is we help them to be ex- able to accept payments online from me the customer exactly so and so businesses get paid consumers are able to pay for things and then ultimately they're able to get some sort of good or service. And that's one thing that we do. And then we have a bunch of other things that we do around automating the back office. So helping businesses run their billing systems or invoicing or sales tax obligations. And so it's actually a really wide capability where essentially we partner with businesses to help them be successful in the digital economy. And we've got this pretty broad mission to increase the GDP of the internet, right? It's like this kind of um, broad statement, but essentially when we look at where businesses are going and where the growth in the global GDP uh, is from an economic perspective, a lot of it is moving online. It's becoming digital. And I think like when we look back at Stripe, it's a 13-year-old company and sometimes it can be interesting to work out, well, what is the origin story of that? Like, where the idea come from? How was it born? So back in 2010, the business was founded by yep. two Irish brothers, Patrick and John Collison. And I think if we even start there, there's some interesting fun facts about the founders. Yeah. Because Stripe was not their first successful business. They'd already founded, scaled, and sold their first business. They sold their first business in 2008, so about two years before founding Stripe, and they did that as teenagers. So Patrick was 19 and John was 17 at the time, and so very young and high potential with respect to ideation, creating a business, and then scaling it and selling it. And I think a, uh, you know an interesting philosophical question you could go on on a tangent is, would Stripe have existed if they hadn't founded that first business? What right? was the first business? It was a, it was a technology business focused on optimizing online auctions, right? So um, it was it was very based on the internet economy at the time. 
right? So after selling the business, there was this moment where it's like, well, what's the next thing to do? And on reflection, they worked out that actually one of the hardest things that they had to do when running their first business was just allowing you, like their customers to pay on the internet. It was meant to be already solved, but, um, but it wasn't. And it was just way too hard. And so that became the next thing. It was the Genesis idea for Stripe. And so fast forward about a year to 2009 and very humble beginnings. They were writing the code and creating the product themselves in the basement of the dorm room of their school. Early 2010, got their first paying customer. Fast forward another year and they had about 100 early stage customers helping them with testing and taking feedback. They even wrote them all personalized notes to thank them for taking them you know, on this journey together struck their first partnership with Wells Fargo. And so you could say- Wells Fargo, the bank, the American bank. bank. Yep. And so you could say the signals were looking pretty good, right? Like they were onto something here. Um, uh, now, if we just fast forward now to now, right? And so just over a decade later, and it's pretty monumental. So we have a business by the end of this year in a single year is on a trajectory to process over a trillion dollars in revenue on behalf of millions of customers across the globe. They've got a platform that processes hundreds of millions of transactions a day on behalf of customers. And the value proposition's extended significantly. Like it started with that, that core idea, how do we make it easy for businesses to be able to get paid on the internet? It's a B2C. Yep. And now it's become this entire financial infrastructure platform where we help with businesses to be able to generate invoices or manage their internal billing system or calculate sales tax, revenue recognition, revenue reconciliation, hardware in the physical payment world. And even in some markets, we have like these embedded finance capabilities where we can help businesses issue their own branded credit cards or access short-term working capital loans for small business um, or have virtual bank accounts with Treasury. And we're just and we're not done. And I think the thing that excites me about this is when I look backwards in time and I, I see how far we've come and also how far the internet economy has come. And then I try to cast my mind forward to the next decade. Like I, I almost feel like we haven't started yet. There's so much to do. And it's still so early in, in the notion of the internet economy that it's just, it's a super exciting place to be. I, I, can I un unpack it a little bit though? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, obviously you're the managing director, you know you, you know about this from a very high level and from a very, um, in the weeds level too, so you know about it from top to bottom. I don't. So, um, you said that the two guys, the two brothers, Collison brothers, Collison? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Dublin boys, I guess, or Irish boys at least, um, found that they had 100 customers and they wrote a letter to everybody saying thanks very much for allowing us to um, do a proof of concept with you. Yeah, and they were paying customers, yeah. but, you know, they were early and they were, they were giving us the feedback. Yeah, and, and, and telling us what doesn't work, what I don't like, exactly. what I do like. And these are B2C customers, so these are um, consumer customers. Once you've got your sort of proof of concept up, you mentioned that along comes Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo, the bank. Now, Wells Fargo, the bank, for those who don't know, is one of the biggest retail banks in the US. You know, it's sort of up there, Bank America and all that sort of stuff, but it's a real retail bank, like Shopfront, Branch, in those days anyway, um, banks, but people going into the banks to do the transactions. 
do you have any idea what, what so why do they what did Wells Fargo do? What was their contribution? Did Wells Fargo say, well, we'll use you as a payment system? What 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 did they invest in them? What happened? No, it's more in the form of a partnership, right? So Stripe is not a bank. We're a technology yep. company. But for us to be able to facilitate the movement of money in the payment ecosystem or with networks like Visa, MasterCard, Amex, et cetera, there are certain um, capabilities that are provided by banks that we partner with in order to provide service to our customers. So you did. they ended in a partnership, the two boys, the two brothers or rather, ended in a partnership with Wells Fargo. That's obviously a, a, a significant move because, you know, Wells Fargo covers the whole of the United States. Yeah. They've been most towns in the United States, that's for sure. Not sure about these days because people close branches down these days. But how do they fund it? I mean, like, where are they getting the – I mean, obviously, it's, you, know, you mentioned it's trillions of dollars, like billions of dollars at least in terms of transactions every year. How do they fund the development of this business? Did was it them boot, bootstrapping the whole thing? There was some bootstrap, and then there were investors. So they brought investors in. Absolutely, yeah, and and actually, some of those early investors included um, the founders of PayPal, right? Which were also an early payment company. Right? So, were, so were they like running parallel together? Yeah, so that they are completely separate businesses. Yeah, but yeah. from an investor perspective, it was quite interesting that a number of the investors that were early actually saw this potential and understood that that payments wasn't solved, right? And so then the other thing that when we look at the future of the business and where it went from, so obviously we started with our Wells Fargo partnership, um, but as we've entered more markets, we're in almost 50 countries around the world now, we have lots of different partnerships and we continue to get more funding in order to scale our business. But I've never really thought too much about it. We use Stripe here in the mentor business, by the way. And yeah, I was just telling my son next door here in the hotel that he runs, he uses Stripe for, for their bookings. It's accommodation hotel. Called the social hotel, by the way, for anyone who's interested. <laughs> um, how does it work? One of the things we do is we enable, we can think of it as like a digital checkout. Right Now, one of the ways that you can pay is with a credit card. Maybe another way that you can pay is with your bank account. Maybe after pay. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. And so um, what we do is we facilitate that connection, right? So we allow a consumer in order to use their credit card, and then we allow a business to accept a credit card, and, and we are like, we sit in the middle. Will I see Stripe anywhere? Or just sometimes. A, or is it pretty much just a facilitation? Some, yeah, sometimes you'll see the Stripe logo. Actually, yeah. in many cases, a lot of businesses like to be able to say that they're using Stripe from a trust perspective. Right, we'll get on to that because that's important yeah. to me. But, but actually, the vast majority of times, we become just like this invisible business partner for an organisation to be able to facilitate the payments and it's fairly scaled here in Australia, right? I was actually, I was, um, I was uh, very happy to hear that you're a customer of Stripe, and so, so thank you. But, like here in Australia, we have a lot of customers and a lot of use cases. So if I, if I take a step back and say, you know, we talked about that Stripe was founded about 13 years ago at a global level, we actually entered the Australian market pretty early in the Stripe journey, about nine years ago. Wow. Right. So, um, and I think there's a number of reasons for that, that maybe we can unpack. But what it's resulted in is that Australia is now one of the fastest growing parts of Stripe from a market perspective across Asia Pacific. And generally speaking, because Asia Pacific is such a fast growing part of the global economy, it also makes us one of the fastest growing in the world, right? With, we've got over half a million customers here. Those customers are businesses. Um, using our platform, you know, we're processing tens of millions of transactions for them. Yeah, so your customer month. is the is is the B two B is now is exactly. the, is the customer. It's 
proper financial services technology, it connects the two ends. Exactly. Yeah. And like if we look at it in a more traditional sense, prior to companies like Stripe, you would need to have a direct relationship and a business banking account with a bank and they would manage the risk around um, accepting the, the card payments on your behalf. And then you would need to find like a payments processor that would actually be that front end for you. They would take the payment, they would pass it to the bank and you would have this kind of multi-pronged relationship in order to receive payment. At Stripe, it's a single relationship. We manage all of that on your behalf. And then not only though, is it one relationship for the market, suddenly now you can have one relationship with Stripe and you can go global. And I think that's a really interesting characteristic that what we're seeing is the current kind of face of what a small business is and large business as well. But I think it's really interesting when we focus on small business is what is a small business today? And what is the shape of a small business? And what is their addressable market? Because it is absolutely, it's absolutely changing to what I think we traditionally think of small business. Well, take me through that. Yeah. So if I, if I mention the term multinational, I think, um, you know, my mind immediately wanders to BHB. very large businesses. Yeah. Right. Huge balance sheets exist for long periods of time. Um, we did some recent research around like the concept of digital exports and trade routes from Australia, trying to understand how are businesses thinking about growth? And um, I was really surprised by what we found. And so we surveyed um, about a thousand small businesses, sole traders. Here in Australia. Yep. And we found that 83% uh, of them are selling to more than one market, just one more market. And I'm like, okay, that could be New Zealand or something like that, where it's, it's a fairly close international market. But then 18% of them, and these are micro businesses, are selling to 11 or more markets globally. They are, for every intent, a global multinational business that is operating from Australia and exporting their capability to the world. And I just don't think those things were possible. Or more importantly, receiving payments from around the world. Exactly. A lot of small businesses are sort of multinational in terms of their revenue sources. Yeah, and our ambition. I think this is one of the unique things about Australia as a, as a market, right? Like I've been in the tech sector here in Australia for 25 years, worked for a few um, multinational businesses, like two US ones, a Japanese one, a bunch of Australian businesses. And there's always this unique characteristic of Australian business where they have, in many cases, global ambition from very, very early in their business um, creation. And they tend to be very fast adopters of technology. And you could you could then unpick the next level question, why is that? And I think that there is the notion of the fact that our domestic opportunity tends to be a little limited compared to our international peers. Relative like the US. to population. Exactly. And so by nature of that, businesses tend to be looking abroad earlier than maybe organisations that are born in the US. And the digital economy allows us to do that? Exactly. It makes the world small. And then we know that from that survey, about 60% of them said it's, it's, it's easier now than it ever has been to do that. But I think the nuance in this is you may enter another market and say, you know, so your son's um, got customers that are in Europe. You can't expect a European consumer to pay for the good or service the same way an Australian consumer does. Actually, the payment methods that they use are just different. Because, for example, their credit card might be issued by a bank in France. 
that's not necessarily got an association. Credit cards are okay because um, generally speaking, Visa card, MasterCard, Amex fairly, tend to have be fairly ubiquitous. Right. And so, but what you may find is the the mix or the percentage of people that want to pay with card versus a, a local domestic payment method that is specific to a, a country is very different. Like if we look at Southeast Asia, digital wallets like QR code-based payments, GrabPay, China Union Pay, WeChat Pay, those are the prolific payment methods. And actually credit cards are a very small percentage wow. of the total. And so if you have a Southeast Asian customer visiting your website in Australia, but the only payment methods you present are the ones that you present to Australian consumers, well, the likelihood of you in getting a converted transaction is low. So, right. so okay, then how does Stripe help out in that, in that case? So what we do is that based on where the consumer's coming from, we will present payment methods that make sense to that local market. Right. We'll also do it on the device that they're browsing on. And this is another really big one and a big shift that we've seen in commerce is that actually mobile commerce now is the predominant- Mobile phone as in, as in smart device, smart exactly. mobile phones. Yep. So the vast majority of e-commerce buying is now happening on a mobile That's device. That's me. I, I don't do anything on yep. any other device except my mobile phone. Exactly. So it's about- it's about 60% in Australia, just just on 60%. We're not the leading nation. Actually, the rest of Asia is far ahead. Southeast Asia is about 75%. Japan's kind of in the middle there. But what it does mean is that when you're browsing on your mobile and then you're filling in your cart and you're generally speaking, the experience of browsing is pretty good. But when you go to pay for something, this is where it becomes really interesting. Especially if you're in, say, China, for example. Or even in Australia. Right, so if so, if I say to you, you're you're browsing on the bus or the train or you're on the lounge at night, and um, you're filling in some time and, and you might be on a website and you say, yeah, actually these products look pretty good. I might I might go and buy that. Now, if you're on an iPhone, there is a higher percentage probability that you'll complete the transaction if your website supports Apple Pay. Right. Because or if the, the, vent, the merchant's website. The merchant's website. Yeah. yeah. Because. There is, um, because it is the most optimized buying experience that you can present well, to the consumer. Exactly. It's frictionless. Yeah, it's in less than 10 seconds yep. you've been able to complete the Especially purchase. Especially if you can recognize your, your, your face. Exactly. You don't have to start putting stuff in But there. if you need to type in a form or a credit card number or you ask for your CVC, you, you are most likely to actually abandon that purchase. Well, I actually get nervous too, especially when they want my CVC. Yeah. Because I, I think, oh, hang on, like, what's this website's deal? Yeah, especially there's a trust thing there. Yeah, totally. Especially if it's a website I don't really know about. Like, it might have something interesting there, but I'm, I immediately think to myself, am I getting scammed here? Yeah. So, uh, so and that's that's in the mind of all consumers. So, like, let me let me let me take you on another journey here, which I think is the biggest upside in growth for businesses that are operating on the internet, and that is when we look at this concept of cart abandonment. And so, what I mean by that is you engage with a website. You enjoy browsing through the catalog. You add things to the shopping cart, and then you complete the transaction. Now, only thirty percent of the people that fill the cart actually buy. Well, seventy percent don't abandon. And have you got any research to say why people abandon the process? Is it because there's too much information required, or they feel uncomfortable? What is it? Um, 
it's a lot of things and those things are part of it, right? So we do we do regular research. We call it like the state of checkouts and it's, it's quite universal. It's not unique to Stripe. It's more around the buying experience and how can you increase that conversion rate. And um, in the last survey, we found that 99% of e-commerce merchants in this part of the world, but this is including Asia Pacific, but it's including Australia, have five or more what we call errors in the checkout that are contributors to people not proceeding with a purchase. Now, one of them, for instance, would be a trust factor. Like, do the does the website present like your security credentials and make you feel as if, you know, this is going to be a legitimate transaction? Maybe yeah. it's the first time you've visited that merchant. Um, you're not quite sure, but it looks trustworthy. If it doesn't look trustworthy, there's a high probability you won't proceed. One of the other ones, linked back to what we were talking about earlier, is is the most trusted or favourite payment method available for the consumer to pay. Like there's this really simple saying, which is if you've got a customer who wants to pay, get out of the way. And if you can present the payment methods that they want to use, there is a much higher probability that they will proceed with a purchase. And this is this is kind of very relevant right now in the prolific adoption of mobile. Because what we know, for instance, in physical payments in Australia, we know just how prolific mobile and contactless payments are. We're actually one of the leading nations in the world with respect to that. So um, like tap to pay in a cafe for a coffee or, or whatever it may be, um, when it comes to contactless payments, about 95% of in-person payments in this country now is conducted as a tap to pay type transaction. Wow. Right. So one of the leading in the world. The average from a global perspective is close to 30%. So we are absolutely doing well. And you notice this when you go abroad and you realize just how hard it sometimes is to pay for things in other countries compared to what it is here. We also know that almost 40% of those transactions are now occurring on a phone, right? So on an on a iPhone, Apple Pay, Google Pay, et cetera. And so Australian consumers love paying that way. But when we look at e-commerce, we're not quite there yet. Consumers are ahead of the merchants because only about 11% of merchants right now are even supporting Apple Pay or Google Pay. Online merchants, you're Exactly, yeah. as a payment method. And so there is this kind of latent opportunity there to modernize the digital checkout to catch up where consumers are. Actually, consumers are leapfrogging significantly ahead of the merchants when it comes to payment behaviors, you know, their preferences in payment, but then unfortunately the merchants aren't able, able so, to keep up. So how does Stripe fit into that opportunity? Yeah. So we don't, so when it comes to just digital commerce and accepting payments. It's not just all about credit card, right? Actually, it is supporting the digital wallets like Apple Pay and Google Pay. It's supporting the buy now pay ladders like Afterpay and Zip and Klarna. And so a customer of Stripe, they no longer have to think too much about this. They can just jump into the Stripe dashboard, tick on a toggle, and then immediately those payment method methods become available, right? And so they can experiment with well, what are the payment methods that are going to increase my conversion? Maybe it's not increasing conversion. Maybe it's not important to that specific demographic or target consumer. They can turn it off because, again, there's a there's a fine line here. It's not about presenting an, an, you know, an infinite amount of choices because that also is crippling for a consumer. That creates friction. Exactly. What, it, what it's about is presenting the right choices. And we make that really, really simple 
at low cost for, for our customers to be able to achieve. Okay, I'm going to go to the break. I'm going to come straight back because I want to talk to you after the break. I want to talk to you about where does AI fit into all this, particularly in that um, that part where you can learn or you can actually train your own system to work out how someone like Mark Boris, how he likes to transact. Yeah. And um, I mean, do you learn about those things? But I'm going to go to the break, come straight back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, I'm, I'm back here. I'm, I'm talking to Carl. Carl's MD of um, Australia, New Zealand for Stripe. Um, it's a it's a payment facilitation system. I think maybe that's not a bad way of describing it oh, between I've... consumer and and and, and merchant. I would, yeah, I, I I would I would love um, your listeners to think of us as more than that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm yeah. going to go into down because I'm I know you probably um, present to merchants a lot of um, enterprise solutions which is much more than just the payment system but just on the payment system you you mentioned that the opportunity is to be able to um for the merchant to know using your platform um how mark boris might like to transact um is that correct it's more about the fact that we take that heavy lifting away from the merchant okay so then but do you share with the merchant what what Mark Boris likes to how he no, likes to transact, we, but we we will share what you transacted with, right? Like so what 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 card in we, the end in yeah. the end what was the payment method that was used? And in so, other words, with credit card or or, or Apple Pay yeah, or Afterpay, yeah, yeah, etc. Yeah. Right. So that's really really important. And what we do is, regardless of what the consumer uses to pay, we provide a consolidated settlement of those funds, right? So that it, there's there's one place to look around the total amount of transactions, regardless of what payment method was chosen by the consumer. But when it comes to presenting the, um, the appropriate payment method, we do do some work around that to make sure that the, the presentment is the most relevant to either the device, the consumer, the location. So we take a lot of that learning away and, uh, oh, sorry, that heavy lifting away and implement that learning so that the consumer gets the absolute best experience. Because I would argue the best experience for the consumer is that a payment method that they like to use is presented and it's, it's, is made really, really easy. And quick. Exactly. But trustworthy. 
Exactly. And the best experience for the merchant is the highest likelihood that the consumer is going to purchase. And so it's it's all about the experience. Customer experience is payment experience. It is business growth. So we're sort of getting into the, the nuts and bolts of the upsides and the downsides of um, transacting in a di- in the digital world in terms of digi- digital shopping. And uh, I, all I can think about is myself because I, you know, I'm, I've never done any surveys to anybody else, but I'm thinking about myself. And you're right. Um, I quite like it when Apple Pay gets presented to me because um, I think, oh, that's bloody easy. Um, I don't like it when I've got to just go and start up again and fill out a whole lot of information. But once, if I go back to that um, and I buy something and I go back to that particular merchant, I quite like it when they already know all well, they've remembered. Stuff, yeah. They've got my stuff. But then I get a bit nervous because they remembered everything about me. I'm thinking, where have they stored <laughs> that data? Um how does Stripe fit into the, the trust element? I think one of the things that we're doing at the moment is we're starting to build more relationship with consumers. So um, so I'll give you an example. You know, you, you, you described that you like the Apple Pay experience, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm a prolific Apple Pay user as well. It's just nice and easy and it works well for my lifestyle. One of the things that we do know, though, is Apple Pay only works on Apple devices, yeah, right? Okay. So, um, And so one of the things that we're building at the moment, and, we, and we've got it, we call it Link, is trying to extend the proposition of that super low friction, single click checkout experience, but doing it across all platforms and providing that to all merchants, but using the network power of Stripe to achieve that. And so an example would be if um, if a consumer has paid for a bunning sausage using a QR code, um, they've been onboarded into um, Link with Stripe, and then they go to another small business and they offer a Link checkout option. It's like a new payment method that we have created that engages with the it's consumer. Called Link. It's called Link. Um, it remembers that you have done that purchase for a sausage in at Bunnings and allows you to do a single click checkout with that merchant, even though you may never have transacted with them before. And the only thing that's required is a, is a degree of validation. Is it you? And there'll be some sort of quick text to your, to your phone to validate it's you. And then immediately it knows your favorite payment method, which might be a Visa card or a MasterCard. It knows details about, for instance, your delivery details. And then you can click single click checkout. Does it say to me, you want to use credit card ending in blah, blah, blah? When you sign up for um, Link, you actually add multiple different payment methods and we're going to keep adding different payment methods over time into the wallet. Yep. But yeah, then the last payment method you've used, it will then automatically say, oh, thank you, Mark, for signing in. It's you. We're about to charge um, MasterCard XYZ. You click pay and you're done. Oh, that's and good. so you end up with what is essentially a six-second checkout time frame in a small business that may never have interacted with you before. But, Except that once. Well, yeah, but but the good thing is you know Link because you've interacted with Link in other merchants. And so the trust factor is there because you can say, I can trust this thing. It's texting me. I've used it before. It's super quick. It knows who I am. Even if you've never transacted with that other business before in the past. And so there's this this additional trust that we can build to allow small businesses to get access to your business uh, through us. Is the sweet spot or you know the ultimate for you guys to be able to create that for when I then go and buy something from Bunnings Online that they recognize who I am and they give me these really easy options and I feel comfortable because I've just done the transaction more recently. Is that where you want to be? And quick, 
Yeah. Because speed, that- cause speed worries me sometimes because then I get nervous. Yeah. But you're also trying to give me your overlaying. You know, don't be nervous, Mark. Um, because speed matters it really does like we've done some research on the speed of a checkout and like it's pretty extreme actually we know that almost 50 percent of consumers will just give up if the checkout takes three minutes or more wow and that's but three minutes sounds like a long time right but actually when you look at the industry average globally the average is about three and a half minutes yeah so the so we're in this magic moment at the moment where the the general experience is not great, right? And that three minutes could be, like you talked about before, filling in that form. Now, it may be the first time you do it and maybe you are able to be more optimised the next time you go, but actually a lot of consumers will give up in filling in that form, especially if they're on a small form factor device like a mobile because it's just harder to type, Yeah. right? Which is why things like Apple Pay, Google Pay, Link, these kind of accelerated checkout options allow you to have a super fast, trustworthy checkout and it increases conversion 100%. And because it, it sends me a, a two-factor authentication, it sends me the yeah. mobile, my mobile device a text, says just make sure this is you and all I need, need to do is take the code off and push it into the system. Yeah, and, and there we go. And it's remembered you. And so we've got some research on Link. So it's about a six-second checkout. Is L-I-N-K? L-I-N-K, yeah. A six-second checkout. And just by enabling that and then consumers using it, it's a 10.5% increase on top line revenue just by turning on a payment method. For the merchant. For the merchant, yeah. So they're just getting more business because, you know, refer back to that card abandonment story. When you've got 70% of your potential customers not transacting, if you're able to convert even a small percentage of those, because you're only monetizing 30% of them, mm. if you can if you can convert just some of those 70%, there's this huge opportunity to drive top line growth. You've already acquired them, they already get they already got to your site. You had to pay for that. You just haven't been able to convert them. And you know, I would there there are there are these magic important moments that we need to invest in, like merchants need to invest in in order to engage the consumer. They're all the one percenters too, like the, yeah. the little one percenters because if I have a bad experience, like so if I abandon the, my process, if I'm in that 70% um, of those people who do abandon the process, I actually think to myself, oh, next time I go back to that website, I, I think it was too hard last time. And I actually get, from a branding point of view, it's not good for them. Yeah, because you it, may not it, ever get their visit again. I, I might not because I think yeah. like that was too hard last time. Um, exactly. So they're building their brand. They get me to the front door, um, but there's an Alsatian there and it makes me a bit nervous <laughs> and I sort of abandon. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to go back because my experience was not not only was it not good, but it was actually poor. Yeah. And that means it's bad for their brand. And I might tell someone, oh, that was a pain in the ass trying to get, do a yeah. deal with that transaction. I don't care how good the product was uh, and or how – economically relevant price-wise the product was. If it's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It also depends on, you know, it can be sector-related as well. So there are certain sectors where card abandonment is way lower. And so an example would be airline, 
right? So even if the checkout experience is suboptimal. You've only got two choices in Australia. Well, (laughs) exactly. You've got a very motivated buyer. And by the time they're adding the flight to the car, like it's it's based on some other experience that they're going for. But in traditional e-commerce retail, it's very fickle. There are these moments that you've got to capture them and engage with them and make sure you invest in the experience. And I think when we think of customer experience, a lot of the time our mind wanders to the brand and um, making sure that it's 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 quite beautifully designed and and those things are all very important but but I would suggest that actually the most important moment to invest in for a customer is the moment that a prospective customer goes to pay you yeah and it's actually something that hasn't been invested in enough in the past and so that's something that we work on in order to make sure that we invest on our customer's behalf, on behalf of the merchant, to give them the highest level probability of converting that transaction into, or converting it to a paying transaction. So what's the future look like? So, I mean, that's what you're doing now. Where do you see payment systems and transactions? There's a few things we're working on, yeah. right? So firstly, I think um, we're working a lot on this concept called unified commerce. And so if you look at I guess, the current way that consumers interact with merchants, especially in an omni-channel sense. There may be a physical store, there may be an e-commerce store, a website and a marketplace. There may even be social commerce as well on on, um, on social media platforms. But generally speaking, the concept of omni-channel is that you're engaging with customers in those channels, but they are very distinct, unintegrated channels. You don't really know who's on the website versus who's coming into the store, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the concept of omnichannel is trying to understand and link all that together, having a, a, a customer record and tracking the customer journey where potentially they may have started on the website, they may have come into the store and engaged with a retail worker. They may complete the transaction there or they may go home then and have a think about that after you know, the look and feel and being able to see the product in the real life and complete the transaction there. So how do we, but how do we link those things together? How do we engage with the consumer in the retail store where they say, actually, I've been on the website and um, I really liked this color of um, of a couch or whatever it is, but I'd like to see it in, in real life. I touch it. And, and that retail worker can say, well, hang on a second, let me just look up you as a, as a record. We quickly just work out who it is and we can see actually, oh, I can see the product that you were looking at. Let me take you to that right now. And actually, there are three that look very similar because they're all a different shade of grey. And so I can show you all those side by side. And so respecting the customer journey, leaning into the customer journey, I think is really interesting. And so unified commerce is a, is a big part of that. I think also um, we're looking at leaning into the, the whole mobile um, uh, e-commerce side. And so what I mean by that is having this far more experiential payment approach where as opposed to people taking a product in a retail store and then lining up at a checkout and waiting to be processed and to pay, well, why can't the retail worker engage with you at the product, talk to you about the product, pull out their mobile phone and say, and actually, do you want to pay for that now? And I'll just take payment, tap, and then they walk out and they have this just far richer experience and actually, in, in, in a lot of likelihood, a high conversion rate because people aren't saying, you know what, the queue's too long. Well, right? they close so, you there, there and then. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the work we're doing with Amazon in Just Walk Out technology. So, What's that? Um, so they've just launched it in Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. And so this is the idea where you walk into a store and it's gated. You tap a payment method to enter. So you tap your your MasterCard or Visa card. The gates open. You walk in. You grab whatever you want off the shelf and you just walk out. Like it's exactly what it says it is. And um, and then you're charged as you exit the store for whatever you took out of the store. But there's some sort of um, sensor system that works it's all camera based. Taken with it. It's yeah. all camera based. I actually, um, many years ago, I worked for Amazon and I was a beta tester for um, Just Walk Out in Seattle. And it's it's a fascinating experience because we've been trained as consumers to, to kind of line up and have a and have this moment of transaction and validation that I'm allowed to leave and I mean just it was it was a really strange it's a bit like driving a car into the tunnel the system picks you up as you drive through yeah so th- this sort of similar sort of system that yeah as be- opposed to throwing money in the toll booth yeah yeah like it just it, yeah, yeah. yeah so you you don't need to slow down and yeah. so whenever I used to visit Seattle I'd I'd use an Amazon Go store. And I would get a receipt and it'd say, you were in the store for 12 seconds and you bought a sandwich and, and a drink. Yeah. And Do these stores exist? These stores exist. And, um, in and Australia? The, f- the first one is in Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. Oh, really? And so, Actually within the stadium? Within the stadium. It's one of the, it's one of the, the small stores for, uh, for food and beef. Right, okay. Right. And so you look at these things and say they are that they are completely innovative customer experiences. And I think there's going to be this um, convergence of experience like that where we have concepts like Just Walk Out, we have concepts of being able to respect the customer journey no matter where they start and end it, and bringing that all together, which is going to be great for the consumer in the sense that they feel like they're being served and they're able to get a better level of understanding of products. And it's going to be great for merchants because they're able to understand how consumers are interacting with their brand. So I think that's going to be a big shift that we're going to see in the next five years or so. That's sort of like a convergence of uh, e-commerce with physical retail. Exactly. It's turning physical retail and payments into a digital payment. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and I, I wouldn't mind that experience actually because I'm going to feel sort of like a little bit naked or a bit weird walking out because I'm going to feel like um, I'm stealing something because I haven't paid for it. But yeah, it's, but it's a weird feeling. It is. Well, it's a weird feeling. Well, the I first imagine time. it'd be a weird feeling. I've done it. The first time. Because I did it. I remember. And so it was, it was, when I first used it, it was for Amazon employees only. They were just testing it. I was super excited to try it. And, and I remember, and they had a security guard at the door. It wasn't to stop people um, stealing things because it's not possible. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like if you take it off the shelf. It you've like so that's it, it must be tagged or something, is it? It's not. It's all camera based, and and I remember. Um, and I'm and, you you know, know, to, sorry when you say it's camera based. That means you got to display the thing on the way out. No, there there are um uh you know there are camera surfaces all around the store. It doesn't feel like you're there are camera surfaces in the store. It feels very natural, right? Um, and you know, funny story was um look, we welcome you as a beta tester, and um and please do your best to try and trick it. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, that's, that sounds Put a fun. t-shirt on. Yeah. And so there isn't the concept of putting in a trolley or anything like that. You can stick it in your pocket. You can do whatever. You've taken it off the shelf. But then it was like, put it back on the shelf. Um, give it to someone else. Get them to pass it to you. Like, try try and see what happens. How smart the system. And it was, it was, it was really interesting, the, the approach, because it was like, um, what happens if we exit and we don't get charged? 
And I love the response from Amazon. It's like, that's a wonderful customer experience. A bad customer experience is paying for something you didn't take. Yeah. A wonderful experience is leaving the store and, you know, you just happen to not be charged for that, right? Now, we tried every scenario and we got charged for everything, right? So, but I remember leaving and there was a security guard there and I said, are you sure? Like, am I just allowed to leave? And he said, yeah, go. Like, it's it's fine, right? The only reason I'm here is to stop the public getting in, right? This is This has nothing to do with you leaving the store and you've got a can of Coke in your pocket, right? So, um, and then, but then after that first time, it became a joy because I'm like, you know what? I haven't got a lot of time. I'm between meetings. I know what they've got on the shelves. I can quickly duck in, grab what I want. I don't need to line up and I can walk out. doesn't matter how busy the store is. It doesn't slow me down. And I think it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful example of what the future of retail could look like. And I think those embedded payment experiences, they're going to be huge over the next five well, years. Well, they make people spend, spend more money. We know that because tap and pay is a way of people not feeling the pain of payment. That's innovation on the front end to the consumer, right? But I think that also over the next five years, there is going to be a huge amount of automation in the back end, right? So we know based on some research that um, that Australian businesses are spending far too much time doing just general admin in understanding the business, whether it be access to data, in um, reconciling accounts, um, far more than industry average. So about 25% of businesses are spending almost a day a week just getting an understanding of the business. The challenge is that the industry average is about 12%. Right. And so this is where we're not leading. And this is where I think the lowest hanging fruit could be around making sure that Australian businesses remain globally competitive. Because I think we've got incredible characteristics and ingredients of entrepreneurial Australian businesses. We know that consumers are leaning into the technology. We know that businesses tend to adopt technology pretty quickly here to remain competitive. But this is an area I think that we've got some upside where I think we're going to see some big shifts over the next five years. And what's what stripes participation in that now? So what, what are your innovations? What are you, what are you looking at bringing this, to the marketplace? This would be um, consolidation of back-end tools that manage things like invoicing and tax and billing systems, et cetera. We know that 60-odd percent of businesses need 10 or more tools in order to get that view. Now, I'm not suggesting that should be one. But what I am suggesting is there is this great rationalization opportunity because that is a proxy for actually how fast businesses are operating. Like the more complexity you have in a business, the slower in general the business is able to make decisions and operate and pivot, especially in a ever-changing macroeconomic environment. And if there's one thing that I've learned in working with startups and even standard business around the sector in the last couple of decades is that fast businesses generally over time always beat slow businesses like they're able to innovate faster they're able to respond to customer needs faster and eventually become more successful the days of very very large businesses just eventually eating um, small businesses is kind of over speed matters and so i think if we can reduce complexity in the back office we have this opportunity for australian businesses to be successful not just here but at a global stage. So you're talking about you're looking at, at here more an enterprise solution, as opposed to just something at the front end. Well, much, yeah, much, much a back more office whole. solution. About yeah. So like this is relevant for the smallest business 
all the way through to the largest business. Yeah, whereas enterprise business, uh, enterprise solutions usually end up at Telstra or Vodafone or one of those places. You're talking about a whole of enterprise solution for a small business, like and they ordinarily wouldn't be able to afford these sorts of things. Yeah, and they and so the and like it's interesting even when we look at the startup ecosystem at the moment and the fact that. You know, investors are looking for startups to make sure that they're focused on the right things, that they're driving durable growth, they're looking for profitability. Innovation. Exactly. And so there are a few things that businesses can focus spending that capital on and, and investor resource. One is, well, should I write and create my own billing system because I want to? Or should I just go on yeah, stick use to your stripes? Lane. Yeah, yeah. To, to stick to your lane. I mean, I would say that all the time. Yeah. Don't waste time on, let's call it administration, I'm not downplaying what Stripe does, but admin. Well, we're, hey, we're happy to be the people that do the undifferentiated heavy lifting on behalf yeah. of business because it's our core business. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. We're passionate about that. And you stick to your lane. Yeah, and I don't think businesses generally are passionate about their internal billing system and um, tax system. All they want to do is they get, know they're going to get paid. But you know what? If they partner with us, they'll know that we're passionate about it. <laughs> we'll innovate on their behalf and they can focus on their core business. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of small businesses now. We're talking to small businesses, you and I, right now. Where do they go to? They go to Stripe what? How can they find more out about what Stripe does? Where, where, yeah. where should they go? Um, so we we engage with small businesses in a variety of different ways. So um, many uh, thousands of our customers who are small businesses, they just go to the website. They well, what sign, is the website? To the website. Stripe.com. Yep. Yep. They will um, sign up self-service. We will do like a KYC check to understand, you know, are they a real business and are they um, operating and doing something that is in alignment with our terms of service. And then they can immediately start accepting payments, using our billing systems, issuing invoices, et cetera. Right. So, and there are many businesses that just do that. They have a very product relationship with us. Right. There are some small businesses that maybe get to a certain size or they have a degree of complexity. And so they engage directly with my team. And right. so we have people that work with them, understand their business, work out how we can help them grow. And then um, there are lots of businesses that interact with us through our partners, our platform partners. So an example would be Zero. Yep. So we've had a very long-standing- Zero as an XERO, XERO. the accounting yep. business. Exactly, yep. yeah. We've had a long-standing relationship with them, partnership, that we're very proud of. But so one of the things that we do for Zero is we enable Zero-issued invoices to have like a pay button, a digital pay button, so that when a Zero customer issues an invoice, the end receiver of the invoice has an opportunity to pay that right then and there. Right. And we know, based on Zero's research, that customers that issue invoices with those buttons get paid 14 days faster than ones that don't. Right. Because, again, it's all about those moments of engagement. I can do it now, and if I don't do it now, what I'm going to do is I'll park it, and I'll probably forget about it. Maybe forget start. about it, right? Yeah. And so if you can capitalise on those moments and invest in it, make it as easy as possible for your customers, whether it be B2B or B2C, to transact with you, then that's going to be a good investment. Right, and so that's one of the things that we work on with them. I think another, um, if we've got time, like a really cool um, customer that I love is this business called ServiceMate. So they're a Darwin-based business and they've built a platform just around tradies. And so actually before I started at Stripe, I was getting texts from ServiceMate because I'd booked in an electrician to come to my home and I got a text from ServiceMate 
because they're the platform that powers a lot of the logistics, the job management, um, the staff management. They integrate with Zero, and but they also do the payments for the for the tradies. Where it said, "Hey, you've got the electrician coming tomorrow at ten. Um, confirm that that's that's okay." Now, the great thing about them is they've made it so easy for a tradie to just focus on their core business, you know, doing the trade, that the one thing that they've just launched with us is the ability for them, the tradie, at the end of the job, to be able to pull out their mobile phone and iPhone and actually say, just tap your credit card here or your phone here and You're take the pay. No, and, and so no additional hardware, no complexity, and allows them just to get on with what they're there to do. And so great platforms like ServiceMate allow us to reach, you know, thousands of tradies in order to, to, to simplify their business. So like we have both direct and indirect relationships with small business. Um, and then, you know, that, that concept of going global and micro and multinationals, I think that's another really interesting um, uh, view on small business. Thanks for coming and sharing um, a bit of the, the, the weeds about what, um, Stripe does because, it, to be frank with you, for a lot of people, it, it is a bit of a, a mystery. We sort of know who you are, but we don't really know how it works. So I, I appreciate that. I mean, for a start, and also what's really been really important is talking about where the innovations are. Because I, what I really never got into my head until today is that it's about trying to move the consumer and the merchant further and closer to the actual experience I have when I go into a store when I just tap and pay. It's, it's about, you said earlier, reducing it down to six seconds, the transaction. Because if I'm the merchant, which is really who's your, who's your customer, if I'm the merchant, I want, do, I want to give you no more than a few seconds to change your mind. Because the longer I give you, the more likely it is for you to change your mind or abandon for whatever the reason is. Kids screaming, I better go and give them a bottle. Or my show's back on. Mm. The, ads, the ad break's over. I want to go back and watch my show. And, I think, and, then, and then I just forget about it. So bringing that back from whatever number of seconds it is to a much shorter number, I can imagine one day it's going to be one second, <laughs> um, the way you guys are going. But that that explanation is really important and it's quite a valuable explanation because if you're an e-commerce merchant, e-commerce is based on efficiency and speed. And at the end of the day, the more efficient, the more, well, the more speedy and therefore the more efficient you can become, the better it is for the merchant. And that's what the consumer expects. Yeah, and we want Australian New Zealand merchants to be the most digitally native, successful merchants on the planet. And I think there's every opportunity for that to happen based on the characteristics and ingredients of Aussie entrepreneurial businesses, you know, partner with Stripe Technology. Thanks, Hal. That's a good way to finish, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance... Simon McDermott, this is a mentored podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.